The Christmas story isn't just another story. It's our story. And it's not a finished story. It's the beginning of a story that's still being told. All the sights, all the sounds, and all the songs of Christmas are meant to remind us that this isn't just a random collection of words on a page. It's a story that's been crafted with great intention and care. A story that was created with every person in mind. A story that was meant for you and meant for me. I want to say thanks to the young man who actually has done all of the original artwork for our Christmas series. He was in the video. His name is Owen Sayers, and Owen lent his uh, incredible talent to us over the series. I hope you'll enjoy those pieces throughout the next couple of weeks. So those of you that are watching on home today, in a few moments we're going to be receiving communion together as a church family, and I want to encourage you to take some time to prepare for that. And so whatever you need to do to make communion available to your family, we're glad that you uh, can join us in that. And as well, for those of you that stayed home because you're ill, so many folks in our community are sick these days. So thank you for staying home. But we're also really glad that you have the opportunity to join us today. And we hope you'll find this to be an incredibly moving time. So I have a confession to make. I have judged the shepherds from the Christmas story for a really long time. Because I've seen them as somewhat less important. I would characterize it this way. My perception of the shepherds is that they were insignificant. I mean, compared to the main players of the Christmas drama, the shepherds just appeared to have more of a minor type of a role. A piece of my perception was solidified by a component of the Christmas season that happens in many churches that's called the Children's Christmas Program. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I had another word for it growing up. I called it torture, okay? So, because this is the way that it worked. If you had the ability to memorize a couple of lines and you were the tallest kid in fifth grade, you got to be Joseph. You had to deal with the emotional weight of that whole pregnant virgin thing, but you, you navigated your way through it. If you could look overwhelmed and, looked, and could memorize a few lines, you got to be Mary. If you had a regal bearing or access to gold tinfoil and a Burger King crown, you got to be a wise man. If you had anger issues, you got to be either Herod or the innkeeper. That's just the way that it worked. And once the major roles were covered and you still didn't have a spot, here's what happened to you. If you could sing, you got to be in the angel choir, which was a lousy option if you were a guy because they made you wear this silver tinsel garland thing in your hair. Completely not cool, okay? And if you had no talent whatsoever... You got to put a pillowcase on your head, make a crook out of those cardboard tubes from the wrapping paper, borrow your dad's bathrobe, and you got to be a shepherd. That's the way that it worked. And if you were a shepherd, your job was to abide, to be sore afraid, and keep the two-year-olds who were dressed like sheep from grazing on the Christmas cookies that were supposed to be served after the Christmas program. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And in my young heart, the shepherds just seemed to be insignificant. I mean, after all, why would God pick people like that to be on his birthday guest list? Another reason that led me to a wrong conclusion about the shepherds and believing that they were somewhat insignificant was because there was a particular verse in the Christmas story that described what the shepherds were doing. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, in the King James Version, which is what I grew up reading, it says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. The Christmas shepherds were abiding. And that was my thought. Real men don't abide. 
We produce, we hunt, we fix things, and we provide, but we definitely don't just abide. That's not what we're supposed to do. And my assumption was completely wrong because the truth is we need more people in the world today who would be willing to abide. And let me tell you why. Because Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you would bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So apparently, even though I thought it was wrong, the shepherds were on the right track when it comes to abiding. Apparently, these men were following a high calling, even though so many people judged them, just like I did. Let's talk about a better understanding of these wonderful characters from the Christmas story. The truth is this, the shepherds were not looked upon with great favor in their culture. They were seen as the lowest rung of the social ladder. And there was a reason for this perception. The reason shepherds were looked down upon is because religious people looked at them and realized their job actually made them ceremonially unclean in terms of the Jewish law. They dealt with animals and it made them unclean. Another strike against them was that because of the all-encompassing nature of the job, they couldn't come to the temple regularly to become ceremonially clean. They were camping out, which is interesting. The word abide literally means to camp out. Think about that for a second. When Jesus invites you to have a relationship with him. Shepherds lived with their sheep. It was a 24-7 occupation. So religious people had issues with the shepherds because they were just doing their job. And I judged them exactly the same way. I just thought they were somewhat insignificant, a byproduct of the Christmas story. Here's another interesting thing as to why people had issue with them. Shepherds were not allowed to be witnesses in a legal proceeding because they were outcasts. And because they were outcasts, here's the bottom line. They just weren't clean enough for the nice people. Have you ever been judged like that? Have you ever judged yourself like that? Have you ever placed yourself on the outside of God's love because you just didn't think you were clean enough to belong with the good people? Have you ever disqualified yourself because of something in your past that that you just can't release because in truth you question whether or not God could actually forgive you for what you did? Have you ever placed yourself on the outside looking in because a group of people led you to believe that a person like you would never be invited into their holy little circle? Well, if you've ever felt that way, ever, we have such good news in the Christmas story. We're going to deal with these issues today. Every week we've been doing a statement and a question. Here's this week's statements. We're all shepherds trying to figure out if the good news is really for people like us. We're all trying to figure out whether or not we're on the guest list. We're all trying to figure out whether or not God would actually invite someone like me into his inner circle. And that really comes out of a question. It's the question we all have to grapple with. Do I believe I'm worthy? The shepherds have been told their whole lives, you're unclean. You aren't worthy. You don't belong, so just stay away. Stay with your sheep. And that's what they do until God does the unthinkable and shows this group of outcasts that Christmas was meant for them. 
Get the picture. The shepherds, they're just out doing their job, watching over sheep at night. That is a tough job to count sheep at night. Think about it for just a second. All night long, counting sheep. Talk about a recipe for taking a nap, right? And yet your job was to stay awake, but there was so much more to that job. Watching, protecting, caring. The shepherds are being faithful to their work. It's just another quiet night on the hillside outside of Bethlehem. And then this happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You may want to circle that word all. All the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. These guys are minding their own business, just doing their job, and they get a wake-up call. And the wake-up call is the Messiah is coming. God is not only coming near, God is coming here. God could have gone anywhere, but he's coming here. Merry Christmas, boys. Some of you need the same wake-up call. Some of you need to be told Christmas is not about food, football, and grumpy in-laws. Christmas is about Jesus, and his story was meant for you. It was meant for me. God came looking for you. And I'm not an angel choir, but I've got the same message to share the shepherds received. A Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. Our Messiah has come. He arrived looking for you, and his work is not done yet. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now this good news produced this amazing effect on this group of blue-collar guys. If you read the account of the shepherds, this Christmas wake-up call produced some significant changes in their lives, and the same changes are available for us. When you find out that Christmas was meant for you, your life changes. Just like the shepherds, when I discover that Christmas was meant for me, this is what happens. There's movement towards God. Verse 15, these simple words. Let's go to Bethlehem. Movement, leaving the fields and heading towards this little town. These guys are minding their own business, doing their jobs, and then suddenly an angel choir delivers good news and they're mobilized. They move out towards this little town called Bethlehem. Now remember, They've spent their whole life as outcasts. And I just have to wonder, after that angel choir thing goes down and they're running to find this promised Messiah, I wonder if one of them stopped for a second and just said, guys, why do you think they invited us? I wonder if more than one of them thought this was a setup. 
just another time when they would arrive somewhere and, and they weren't quite clean enough and so somebody slammed a door in their face. I wonder if there was a little bit of hesitancy. I'm just not exactly sure if we should go. Maybe we should just mind our own business and stay here on the fields. I wonder if they, if they wondered, would they really be accepted into this beautiful invitation? History tells us that's exactly what happens. God's not playing those kinds of games. And isn't it just like God to invite people like that, people like us, to celebrate his arrival? You know, it almost makes you think God would invite anyone to one of his parties <laughs> and he does my question is this in the way you're approaching christmas this year are you moving towards the savior or away if i looked at your calendar today which direction would it reveal towards the savior or away if we could monitor your stress level which direction would it be saying you're going towards the savior or away. So there's movement towards God, and this is accompanied with a clear vision. I love this. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing. Well, let me be clear. This thing was a divine baby being wrapped in a package of humanity. Jesus, the Son of God, had limited himself. And I want you to think about this for just a second. In the beginning, he couldn't even talk, even though he was the author of all language. He couldn't walk, even though he had paced out the galaxies uh, in a million solar systems. He made himself helpless, even though he was omnipotent with the power to create world and, and to breathe life into dust. He was tiny, even though the immenseness of his creativity and imagination had created weather patterns and storms that would shake the earth with thunder and rain. Jesus made himself into this tiny little human Thing, and the shepherds had to come to see it for themselves, to receive a clear vision so that they knew that everything they'd ever heard was exactly as they had been told. This little tiny human slash deity slash God was going to deliver all of us from our sin. So here's the question. What's the clear vision you have of Jesus today? Do you see him still as a helpless little baby or do you see him as a conquering king? Do you see Jesus as helpless or as worthy to open the scroll that contains your salvation? Do you see Jesus as savior, king, and lord or is he simply just a little tiny child in a manger, in a nativity that you pull out once a year because that's what you're supposed to do? Have you moved towards him in naming him as Savior, King, and Lord? Thirdly, there's an open invitation. Verse 15 and 16 said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing. And here's the final thing, that the Lord told us. It's amazing that the Lord told us. These outcasts are the first ones to hear the inside scoop about the story of the Messiah. The unclean get the message first, not the religious insiders. I love that. Not the powerful politicians. No, the message of Jesus comes to the rough around the edges and the literally out on the edges, the messy, the unrefined, the misunderstood. God whispered the plan of salvation to average people. I love that. And the changes continue. The shepherds move towards God. They get a clear vision of the Savior. 
They receive open communication from the God of the universe and they can't keep it to themselves. Can you just imagine the conversation on the hills? Like, can you believe they told us? I wonder who else they told. Can you believe they told us? And then it says they spread the word. We're going to pray over Christmas invitations. This is our role this Christmas to spread the word. Spread the word. This passionate conversation starts in their inner circle, works out towards people that need to be invited into this amazing relationship with Jesus. Do you remember what I told you about the shepherds? These guys were not allowed to be witnesses in a Jewish court. The reason was most people just assumed because shepherds were outcasts that they were also liars. They weren't allowed to be witnesses in a Jewish court because they weren't good enough. But... God chooses those who could not testify in a human court as the very first eyewitnesses to the birth of Jesus. Don't you love the irony of that? I love that God chooses the unclean, the humble, and the messy to carry out the good news that a Savior has been born. He doesn't choose the religious or the royal. He doesn't pick the scrubbed or the shining. He chooses the simple, the subtle, the faithful, the focused, And they don't keep it to themselves. They go public with the story. And I want you to think about something. Of all of the people who would have been rejected with this story, it would have been shepherds, but that didn't keep them from inviting everyone to become guests at the celebration of a king. With this public pronouncement, they shift to heartfelt worship. Verse 20 says, this group of field workers begins to sing. It says they were glorifying and praising God. I have no idea whether they actually sang songs or whether they were just overcome with emotion. The Bible simply says they engaged in heartfelt worship because they understood that they had been entrusted with the message of Jesus. You have been entrusted with the message of of Jesus. He has your name on a guest list. You have a royal invitation to engage with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you don't need to wait for a worship team to be playing in the background. It can start at any second. Oh, come let us adore him. Come on, 930. Oh, come let us Adore him, oh come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Simple people, simple worship, glorious King. Then comes confident confirmation. Verse 20 says that everything that they had been told, it was just, just as they had been told. I love the detail that God pays attention to in this part of the Christmas story. Okay, stick with me. Here comes a whole bunch of stuff. Bethlehem means house of bread. Out of the house of bread, the bread of life was born. 
Bethlehem was the home of outcasts, shepherds, yes. And yet out of that lowly place would come one who would call himself the good shepherd. Do you have any idea how scandalous that was when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd? People listening would have been going, there are no good shepherds. Jesus is like, I am the good shepherd. Here's a cool thing. Just outside of Bethlehem is a place called Migdal Adar. Migdal Adar is a special area where special sheep were raised. There are several watchtowers that are still there to this day where shepherds would keep watch over their flocks by night. Flocks that were made up in one little section of a special kind of lamb. In Migdalidar in Bethlehem, they raised lambs that were set aside as lambs that had no defect so they could meet the religious standard of the day so that they could be sacrificed in the temple. And the shepherds that watched over those lambs, they were not ordinary shepherds like the ones that we've been talking about all morning. They were actually Levitical priests. Just think about this for a second. In Bethlehem at Migdal Adar, you found the headquarters for raising the sacrificial lambs that were offered to cover the sins of mankind in the Old Testament system, but in the new way of God's plan, in God's new covenant with people. Out of Bethlehem would come one pure and spotless lamb, Jesus, who would pay the price of sin once and for all. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. And his arrival, this is the key thing, was not announced to the shepherd priests of Migdal Adar, who honestly would have looked down their religious noses at the regular shepherds of the Christmas story. They didn't get the angel choir. The regular guys did. The story came to the faithful, the humble-hearted, and the message was, I am here to rescue and restore you because that's what God does. He rescues and restores. He comes to those who feel unworthy and declares them worthy because of their relationship with Jesus. And I know there are some of us who say, Grant, but you don't understand. I am unworthy. Welcome to the club. I'm unclean like the shepherds. Welcome. <laughs> To the club and you may feel that way but this is the best news I have for you today no matter how unworthy you may feel and see yourself God sees you differently our worth is not because of who we are but because of who God is in us and when we receive the gift of salvation, God welcomes us into a relationship to commune with him. He invites us to his table, to his celebration, and we're going to do that right now. I'm going to invite those who will be serving communion to come forward to their stations right now. They're strategically placed all over the room. And so if you're serving today, if you would come got members of our staff and our church council and we are so honored to be able to share this moment if if you're new around here and you're wondering what in the world are they going to do this is a sacred moment for followers of Jesus that's why it's called a sacrament and we take these moments very very seriously 
Because when we receive communion, we're remembering the reason why Jesus came. At Christmas, we remember that he came. When we do communion, we remember why he came, to shed his blood and to allow his body to be broken to save us. And if you're here and you're just checking out this Jesus thing, trying to put the pieces together, we want you to know that, that if you'd like to opt out of this time, you're welcome to do that. Nobody's going to force you to do anything. But I also want to say to those of you who are in the room that are followers of Jesus and you're just having a moment today when you feel incredibly unworthy, don't let your feeling of unworthiness get in the way of you accepting Jesus at the table of communion. And we're going to do it a little differently. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. And as Eve and Devante lead us over a couple of worship songs, when God prompts you, we're not going to do it row by row, but when God prompts you, I'm going to ask you to come to one of the tables in the room. And a real normal, regular person is going to stand in front of you. And they're going to hold out a basket. And they're going to say these words, the body and blood of Christ meant for you. And I want you to take it back to your seat and I want you to hold it because we're all going to take it together. This motley group of outcasts and misfits are going to take communion together and then we're going to go out and spread the word. So we're going to worship. You come as God is prompting you. There's only two songs. So I know God will prompt you sometime in the next four and a half minutes. I'm assured of that. And you're going to come forward, you're going to receive the elements, come back to your seat, and just hold them, and we're going to take them together. Church, would you stand with me? And as God prompts you to come, come to the table. I don't feel worthy, Grant. Jesus is worthy. And all of his worthiness has been given to you. You're welcome to come. Let's worship together and you come as God prompts you.